on the prequel to the 37th episode, we're learning about fictionalizing historical figures and previewing Night at the Museum. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit. On this week's episode, the prequel episode, we're talking about Night at the Museum. Previewing Night at the Museum, as I mentioned earlier. But first, we're getting back to our learning things with This Film is Lit. And this week, we're talking about fictionalizing historical figures. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, so I put a lot of thought into this Yes, you did. Very (laughs) intense notes. notes. I like it. I'm a fan. (laughs) You know, first off, I want to say that I think writing fictional versions of real people is a tricky bit of business no matter what, um, simply because real people aren't fictional. Um, Real people are messy and they're nuanced and they're nonsensical. And we just expect different things from characters than we do from real live human beings. Mm Mm-hmm. So we might expect fictional characters to have character arcs. Uh, real people don't have those. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, we might... I mean, they can. <laughs> they you can. can. You yeah. can have a moral arc as a character, as a person, but it's not necessary. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a given it's that you're going to have yeah. one. Uh, we might expect fictional characters to be more black and white in terms of good versus evil, when in reality people are a lot more complex than that. Um, and we might expect fictional characters' actions to be explained by their motivations, but real people are not always that easy. It's true. So I've always liked historical fiction. Um, I grew up reading book series like Dear America and The Royal Diaries, not to be confused with The Princess Diaries, two different series. Very different. (laughs) Um, But there's a difference, I think, between historical fiction and a fictionalized version of a real person who actually lived. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are some pros and some cons to including that element in a story. So what I'm going to do is go over some of those um, and try to talk about them in relation to this movie. Okay. Um, So one pro of doing um, a fictionalized historical figure is that you can build off of your audience's perception of that person. Um, For example, if the average audience member recognizes Teddy Roosevelt as a strong leader, then it's easier to show him as such. Um, You don't have to spend as much of your story or your screenplay proving that he is this type of character. Um, The audience is automatically going to view him as that. Uh Um, Kind of hand in hand with that is that you can also then have fun with that perception. Attila the Hun Uh is maybe someone that the audience would expect to be kind of like vicious because we know him as like um, a warmonger and whatnot. Um, But you can have fun with that by like showing him his softer side, right? right? Yeah, Which can... I don't know if they really do that in this first movie, but right. I, I think he gets more character development. But yeah, you can flip the expectation yeah. of the audience. Yes, absolutely. Um, so that's a, a pro, potentially, of doing this. Here's a con. Mm-hmm. Um, you run the risk of rewriting, misrepresenting, mythologizing, and scrubbing clean history. Mm-hmm. Um, So if we go back to that example of Teddy Roosevelt, did he do good things while he was president? 
arguably yes. Um, he ushered in the progressive era. He at least tried to protect people from corporate greed, although that aspect of his history has been, again, mythologized. Um, and he was instrumental in reforming the food packing industry, which we're all grateful for, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, but he was also an imperialist who steamrolled other countries, particularly Latin American countries, uh, because he wanted the U.S. to be seen as a global power. Mm -hmm. So when you include the good without the bad, it's a misrepresentation. And you end up mythologizing these historical figures as being better than they actually were. Um, something that can have wide-reaching and lasting effects on how we view anyone who may have suffered as a result of their actions. Um, it also stymies discussion of those issues, yeah. which makes it kind of hard for us to learn from our historical mistakes. If we're not willing to talk about it, we can't learn about it. Right. Um, another pro, we'll go back and forth here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can bring greater awareness to figures who have been historically misrepresented or maybe ignored. Um, I don't know that the movie necessarily does this, um, maybe to some degree with Sakagawea, uh -huh. uh, but I would have to re-watch it to feel totally comfortable making that claim. Right. We haven't watched it yet. No. <laughs> um, but it is an option. It's something that you can do as a creator and maybe something that you should do. Uh-huh. All right, so I have my last con here, and this is kind of a big one. Yes. If you don't do your research and you aren't aware of historical events and trends, you can end up including some troublesome elements. Mm -hmm. um, I have a couple examples here. Attila the Hun, again, he is portrayed in this movie as fairly easily tricked by a white guy. Yeah. Which is problematic due to historical portrayals of people of color being more savage and less intelligent than white people. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, another issue is that this movie portrays a romantic relationship between Sakagawea and Teddy Roosevelt, which without even bringing the real Roosevelt into the conversation is super problematic because of white men's long history of kidnapping and raping Native American women, yeah. something that continues to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and it might not seem like it, but ignoring those elements and those realities, it can cause actual real world, real world harm. Um, part of the reason that Native American women continue to go missing at an absurdly higher rate than any other group is because we don't fucking talk about it. Um, and seeing misrepresentations of it doesn't help. It doesn't bring any kind of awareness to those of those issues to the average person. It downplays serious problems, making them seem like they don't exist or that they aren't that big of a deal. Yeah, for sure. I agree with everything you've said so far. And now I think this movie kind of gets away with a lot because they have this like built-in hand wave excuse of like, oh, it's not really these right. historical figures. It's wax representations of them. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm going to have to get a rewatch to get a, a better handle um, on how well that they did. If I'm remembering right, I feel like some of the characters like Attila the Hun seemed to think of themselves as like actually that person. Right. Like a like a, a Toy Story type yeah. of like 
Yeah, Buzz versus Woody <laughs> yeah, like type Buzz thing. Lightyear, um, and then others like Roosevelt seemed to know that they were museum displays. Yeah, but I honestly can't remember that if that's explained away or not. I I don't remember if they give an explanation for that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I I've never seen the movie, so I have no idea. You've never seen this? No, I've never seen this. I didn't know that. No, that's for whatever reason, just one of the ones that just. Well, there's a it. fun fact for you guys. Brian's never seen this. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, chances are how well the movie did is probably like six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah. Um, I mean, on a very basic level, we can look at casting. Mm-hmm. Um, casting Rami Malek, who is an actual person of Egyptian descent mm-hmm. as the pharaoh, thumbs up. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, uh, casting Mizu Peck, a half-white, half-Japanese woman as Sakagawea, thumbs down. Yeah, not not ideal. So, you know, even when media does really great with some stuff, they can always do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good standard to hold ourselves to as creators and a good rule of thumb to keep in mind as consumers, too. Um, it's good to acknowledge what was done well. Nobody's saying that you shouldn't. Um, but we can always, always, always do better. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. It's, and, and we, we say it all the time, but it's not, doesn't mean you can't enjoy a thing Yeah. to look at that stuff, acknowledge it, discuss it, criticize it. And then you can also be like, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, other stuff they did good or other stuff, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. Being critical <clears throat> and enjoying something are not mutually exclusive. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, they often work well together. No matter what you may have been told. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Well, that was our learning things with this film is lit. Or just learning with this film is lit, I think is what we've kind of settled on. Uh, about fictionalizing historical figures. We're going to move on to our preview of Night at the Museum. Let's start with some book facts. Ah, Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. He was our fourth president, right? 26th. 26th. This is the kid who wants to be the new night guard. He looks like a weirdie. I'll give you a little tour. This is the uh, diorama room. I remember these little guys. On the left there is your uh, Till of the Hun. And this is the Hall of African Mammals. Guy's cute. He's quite a little ball of fun, aren't you, Dexter? I didn't know that this was a book. I didn't either. Until we started doing this podcast and I started actually looking. Like looking at what were yeah, adaptations? Yeah, looking for things that had been adapted that maybe a lot of people didn't mm-hmm. know were adapted. I had no idea on this one. Yeah, and this is this is one that came up on a lot of lists. Um, so night, it's the night at the museum. The book is. is the book. The yeah. movie is just night at yeah, the Yeah, the movie drops that first the. Uh, but the night at the museum is a children's picture book by Milan Trenk, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Yeah, he's Croatian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was published in 1993 by Barron's Educational Series. Uh, Trenk, like we said, was born in Croatia. Uh, he moved to New York City shortly before writing The Night at the Museum, a couple years before. Um, this is by far his best known work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also done some film directing, smaller projects, yeah. um, and comics. He has also worked as an illustrator for a few big name publications, including The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and The New Yorker. Hmm. Um, so he probably drew some incomprehensible comics. <laughs> yeah. 
Wait, uh, are, the New York, are New Yorker comics incomprehensible? Some of them I'm are. Sure some of them are. Some of them are. <laughs> uh, the book has a sequel called Another Night at the Museum, um, which was published in 2013. I've never read it, but based on the synopsis that's online, it does not seem to follow any of the films. Yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, so while I was doing research for this episode, I read a really great interview with Trank that was done not long after the movie came out. I'm going to post it on our Facebook and Twitter pages okay. for anybody who's interested. Cool. Um, but he talked a little bit about how the book came to be made into a movie. Um, and what he said was, at the time, I organized readings and window displays in Barnes & Noble bookstores in New York. Um, one of them was on Broadway on the Upper West Side, and if I'm not mistaken, that's where Chris Columbus was living. I, was, I have a note about that. Yeah. Or about the fact that he's a producer. <laughs> I was like, we can't get away from Harry Potter no matter what we do. <laughs> um, he said Chris Columbus uh, bought the book, read it to his children, and thought, hey, this could make a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, I couldn't find an actual date for when the movie was optioned. Yeah. But to me, this story sounds like it wasn't long after the book pu was published, which again was 1993. Yeah. Um, and, and I would be curious to know why it took over a decade to yeah. bring to the silver screen. I, I mean, I know that sometimes it can take a long time to do that. Yeah, if it's and a not lot of the times it's one of those things where... You know, they get a, they attach a writer to it for a while mm -hmm. and ends up the studio doesn't like the scripts to so somebody else. And now I don't we'll talk about who wrote this ultimately in the movie section, but it could be that it also might be, uh, you know, that it wasn't optioned until a little bit yeah, further on. Or, you know, they never had the right name attached to it to get finance. You know, there's a million yeah. reasons for stuff like this. I mean, even bigger things that we've talked about. Chronicles of Narnia was optioned. True. Forever yeah. before it was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of times it's just, it, it takes a lot to get a movie made. And so it would, it, they can sit, you know, something can sit on a table somewhere for a, yeah. a decade pretty routinely. But I was thinking about it um, and I'm kind of glad that it wasn't done right away. Yeah. Though, because imagine this movie with like 1995 special effects. I, I, w I don't know what, I mean, I know there's a dinosaur, I think, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, other than that, I thought it's mostly just people, but. I guess there's animals, like CG animals and yeah. stuff. Okay. So I, I've, I've only ever seen like the trailer. Okay. So. Well, while we're watching it, I want you to imagine right. it with circa 1995 special effects. I will. Um, Trank has also claimed that it had not occurred to him that the book could be a movie until he was approached by the studio. Yeah. Yeah. He stated, I was at a loss. How in the world do they think they can make a feature movie out of this? By basically taking the idea and like every yeah. kid's book we've yeah. ever done or picture book, you know, it's just like, this is a cool idea. Yeah, let's, <laughs> we'll, let's we'll roll write with an it. entire <laughs> script around it. Um, but he did seem happy with the final result. Uh, he said that he thought they managed to remain faithful to the spirit of the original text, which is nice. Uh, he also said that he thinks it's a great example of how the same story can work in two different mediums, which I really liked because, hey, that's the theme of our show. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Um, one last interesting tidbit that I gleaned from this interview. Um, when his book first came out, it was actually banned from the Museum of Natural History 
because management at the time didn't like that it portrayed the guards as sleeping on the job. (laughs) Uh, But when the movie came out, the museum was actually selling copies of the book in the Ah, gift shops. Of course. So there's kind of a poetic irony there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. All right. Well, those are the book facts for The Night at the Museum. Let's move on to movie facts about Night at the Museum. So, Night at the Museum is a 2006 film, as you said, 13 years after the book came out, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially sitting around being passed around studio to studio for quite a while before it was ultimately created or made. Uh, It ended up being written, ultimately, who knows how many people were attached before, by Robert Ben Garant, or Garant, I can never remember how to pronounce his name, and Thomas Lennon, who have written a fair number of movies and, in fact, written a book about how to write movies for mm. it's, I believe it's called how to write movies for fun and profit or something because um, they've they've written a lot of stuff but you probably most know the both of them from Reno 911 or the state and a bunch of other things Thomas Thomas Lennon you see a ton and stuff pop up he's a the state was like a a skit improv based mm-hmm. um, not improv based but like a uh, like an SNL type of okay show from like the 90s I think it was on maybe on MTV or something like that. Uh, but it was like, but a lot of the people from the state you see in a lot of movies these days, pretty much pick a Judd Apatow film or a, uh, Seth Rogen film or mm. anything that, uh, Ant-Man was in for a long time. These people would <laughs> pop up all over the place, but the people from the state <laughs> show up everywhere. They're really ta- talented comedic actors. Uh, Thomas Lennon, and Ben Garrett, uh, like I said, Thomas Lennon is, was Lieutenant Dangle on, he was like the main character on Reno 911. If you've ever mm-hmm. watched Reno 911 and Ben Garrett is the guy who always wore sunglasses, like mirrored sunglasses on the show. They're a writing team. They've written a handful of, crazy movies so they're um, like like improv like actors they came writers. up through like improv gotcha. and then went into comedy but they also have written a bunch of movies mm-hmm. and sell the scripts uh and this is they've done this whole they did this whole series uh, it's probably like their biggest like financially successful films they also wrote like the herbie fully loaded movie and, like, oh. <laughs> they like their stuff it ranges all over the place uh-huh. on what they i mean it's usually always comedy of some sort but like it's very within that genre um so one of the producers as we mentioned earlier was chris columbus like i said we can't escape the harry potter connection this film was directed by sean levy who's probably most known for directing and producing stranger things uh he also directed cheaper by the dozen and a bunch of kids shows like a bunch of episodes episodes of kids shows including the famous jet jackson animorphs and the secret life of alex mack Hmm. which is interesting but he also starred in a movie that we did on my YouTube show, Good, Better, Bad, Bad, called Zombie Nightmare. He was in he's, Zombie Nightmare? He's the kid, the evil kid. Oh. That's Sean Levy. Remember I talked about how he yeah. directed episodes of Stranger Things? Yeah. He directed this, huh. Sean Levy. Um, but yeah, he's, he played this really weird character in a, in a crappy 80s uh, horror flick called Zombie Nightmare um, that we talked about on Good, Better, Bad, Bad. But yeah, he directed this. He wasn't the original director, though. The original director was Steven Summers, 
Uh, but he left due to creative differences, hmm. uh, which I'm sure Sean Levy did a great job. He seems to be a very talented director. But Stephen Summers is the director of my favorite film of all time, The Mummy. So I'm a little disappointed that he... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he didn't want to do another movie with a mummy in it. It's true. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Could have been it. He was like, nah, I already did this. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, I don't. again, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how crazy this is, but it's... Seemed noteworthy, because especially from the trailers I've seen, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson were only on set together for one day. Hmm. Stiller talked to a toothpick for the Jedediah scenes. <laughs> I don't know. I assume because he's a little person or something. Like he's like a yeah, he's like a, a figurine. Okay, uh, Wilson and then Owen Wilson filmed all of his parts three months later. <laughs> so they were actually only on set together for one day. Uh, and Owen Wilson's role as Jedediah was supposed to be a cameo, but his character tested so well during audience screenings, like the early screenings, that they expanded his role. Interesting. To have more of him. Uh, the pronunciation of... I was, I was saying it's Kagawea. Okay. Name is debated in the movie, apparently. <laughs> uh, according to this, this is from IMDb. I don't know if this is true. Both pronunciations, pronunciations that they use in the film are correct. I don't know if that's true. I was true. actually I'm doing assuming a little bit of reading about this today because I was trying to figure out if there was one like right, right version. Um, but there are, there are a couple different schools of thought on it um, and like different Native American dialects might have pronounced oh. it slightly differently. Well, sure. But like what about her <laughs> American dialect? How would they like her tribe or her, um, gr you know, region, I guess is my what would be well, like the quote unquote I, I correct way. Sakagawea because supposedly um, in one of whatever the frick her husband's name was, some French guy. I don't oh, know. Yeah, it's not I important. Um, but supposedly there in his journal, there's like it's written out how it's pronounced and it hmm. was Sakagawea. So I thought, well, if we actually have a historical document. Yeah. See, I wonder which um, ones we'll get in the movie. Yeah. If we get that or if we get Sacagawea and Sacagawea. But there because is, that's the two you normally hear. Yeah, there is there is contentious. There's yeah. debate about it. All right. Well, apparently the movie, both of the ones they use in the movie, according to this one IMDb trivia thing I found, both are correct. Again, I don't know how where that comes from and whether or not that's true, but that's what it said. Uh, we talked about Rami Malek earlier being uh, plays Pharaoh Ankhmenra. Mm -hmm. Ankhmenra. Uh, this is his first movie. Aww. Now he's he's a huge he's star. A now little, he's little baby face. He's Mr. Robot and uh, he's Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury yeah. in Bohemian Rhapsody. So yeah, this is uh, but this was his first film, and it was followed by two sequels, which you talked about a little bit. Yeah, there are two uh, sequels to this. I don't think either of them were as successful as the first one, if I'm remembering right. Oh, uh, they were all pretty big. This series made a ton of money. I don't know if they were as successful. I mean, the first one was crazy. Uh, made was, a ton of money. I was talking more along the lines of like people liked them. Oh yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I know again. I've never seen any of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I would be interested to see like what the IMDb scores are. Generally, with most series like that that aren't like planned as a series, yeah. they tend to be like they tend slowly to, to go down downhill. Yeah, generally. But who knows? Maybe. I also, or or sometimes you'll get like the first one will get a good score, the second one will be pretty close, or maybe even a little bit higher, depending mm -hmm. on, and then the third one usually drops off. But <laughs> we can look it up and see. I am looking forward to watching it because I, I, again, it's it was a huge, wildly successful movie, and I just never seen it. I don't know I think my parents really liked it, 
It's kind of a movie my parents would parents really, really like. really liking this movie. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they saw it and liked it. But yeah, I just never saw it. So that'll be our next episode. Night at the Museum. Look out for that one week from today. And then we'll, during that episode, we'll tell you what our next one's going to be. Because I'm not even sure what it is right now. Oh, I do know. But we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> it next episode. We don't want to talk about it now. Night at the Museum. Go watch it. Go check it out. Until then, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep being awesome.